Hey, this is Jen, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adults Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this space. I thank you that we can meet together to learn more about you and to um, be in fellowship with one another, but really just to sit here in reverence of how powerful you are and how good you are. Um, I pray that tonight as Caesar preaches um, your truth, that you would allow it to be life to us, that we would um, be like sponges and really soak in it and really feast on your word. Um, And I pray that the scripture, even though it's a longer passage, wouldn't be something we just read through or something that goes over our head, but that it is something, like I said, that we would pick apart and find you in it and um, really seek what you want to say to us and really seek what it's saying about your character. So we love you, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jade. So I remember the very first time I vividly came face to face with death. It's a really good way to start a sermon, right? (laughs) That makes it real dramatic. I was uh, seven years old, uh, and my family, my parents decided, hey, let's go take a trip to Puerto Rico. And if you've ever been to Puerto Rico, uh, (laughs) Chino's like, that's my place. it's a cool place, you know? And, uh, and, and if you know anything about Puerto Rico, it's, it has beautiful, 
beaches. I mean, it makes Florida beaches just, just look like, sand, like little sandboxes. It's, it's really nice, right? And so the beaches are clear and beautiful, and, and, the, and the water is so blue, and it's like almost surreal. It's like something, like something out, of, out of a book in a lot of ways. And so I, I'm an, I was an only child at that point, and... and <clears throat> And I had a lot of energy, more energy than my parents wanted to deal with, and so they just let me kind of do my thing, and I decided, I'm going to go into the water. I'm going to go to the beach. Like, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to go into the water. I'm from New York City, um, and so we're not known for our beaches. Uh, anytime you go into the beach in New York City, one of two things will happen. Uh, either you will grow a third leg, or you're going to have a dirty diaper over your head. So, you know, I'm just basking in the glory that is the, the Puerto Rican beaches. And so I'm going into the water and, and just letting the, 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 the waves crash over me and just going, ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, just imagine a little tiny brown boy just, just, yeah, you know, water just, just, just crashing over me. I'm just really, really enjoying it. And, and as I'm enjoying this moment, I'm, I'm kind of realizing I'm going a little bit farther, deeper, a little deeper in, a little deeper. I'm just enjoying the water, getting a lot of my energy out. And then it kind of dawns on me as, 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 the, as the waves are kind of crashing over me. I'm not able to breathe as well because my head keeps bobbing in and under and above the water. And so I'm like, you know, I, um, I shouldn't have been trusted to go into the water. Um, I couldn't, didn't know how to swim, okay? So I, I was a seven-year-old who didn't know how to swim. Some people here would argue that I probably still don't know how to swim. Anyway, so, so I'm like, you know, I should probably turn around. Like, I don't, I don't know how to swim. And so, and so I'm trying to, like, like, touch the ground with my feet and, like, be on my tippy toes. And, and I'm, like, trying to go closer to the shore. And, and each time as I go closer, I'm pulled back a little bit more. I'm like, you know what? This is not going to work. So I'm going to try to swim and I, as, as well as I know how to, which is not very, very much. And so I'm, as, as I try really hard to get to the shore. And, and what it's real, I'm dawning on me is that no matter how hard I try to swim to the shore, uh, the shore is getting farther and farther and farther away. And if you know anything about beaches and or currents, uh, you'll know something now that I didn't know then, I'm seven years old, is that I was caught in a rip current, okay? And rip currents kill about 100 people a year, and uh, mainly children, and so I, I really can't tell you that, and this is not the point of the sermon, but I really can't tell you exactly how I got back to shore. Okay, I really don't. I just know that after a while of, of fighting against the waves, which they tell you not to do, you're supposed to like just kind of ride it out, like swim parallel, or just sometimes you float enough, it just kind of brings you back. But I just remember like so vividly, like getting out of the water on all fours, like, <gasps> like, like, like I'd been birthed out of the beach, right? Like, <gasps> and I am so upset. I am so mad that my parents did not come find me. And so I run to them and I'm like, not yo, because I didn't have that deep of a voice. I was like, did you not hear me? Did you not see the little brown head going up and down into the water? I was screaming for help. Like, you didn't see this? And, and honestly, to this day, my, my parents um, think I've made it up because I'm just dramatic. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, I'm realizing now it's probably the main reason why I don't like the beach. Like, it's ironic. I live in Florida, and, I, and some of you know I actually hate the beach. I don't like going there. And so uh, my anger, though, was, was completely justified, right? Like, like I had, at seven years old, I had not much experience with death, but that was the closest I had come to death, and it was terrifying. But even at seven years old, uh, deep down, my anger was birthed out of me, of, of, of my soul knowing that, 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 that my being was not meant for death. Um, and my desire to never be close to death again solidified my desire to avoid it at all costs. 
And, and if you look at just, just human literature and fiction and even the movies that we have, uh, humans are obsessed with the idea of avoiding death, right? Like whether it's King Arthur's Fountain of Youth or Hercules, right, and, and, and the Greek gods or, or Voldemort and the Horcruxes, you know? Uh, I don't know how many parents, like how many Christian kids here were allowed to do that. I wasn't, but I, I read it. And so, but humanity is secretly obsessed with living forever. And death is this really interesting event. You know, it's, it's, we know that it comes for us all, and yet we never know when it will arrive. And, and for that reason, death often can elicit a, 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 a visceral response in our souls, in our very hearts, in our beings, whether it's sadness, uh, whether the response is fear, whether the response is anger in my case, or sometimes it can even result in hope. You're like, how does death result in hope? And it's, well, because death can be good sometimes, not just bad. Like, like how many of you have uh, ended a bad relationship before? That's a good thing. That's the death of a bad relationship, right? Or, but some of us have also experienced the death of a loved one, and that's, that's heartbreaking. And but some of us have lost the, the, had the death of a bad living situation with really annoying roommates. That's a great thing for you, especially if you're in your 20s. And, and uh, you know, you have the death, though, of a job you love, and, and that's a terrible thing. There, death can bring both positive and negative responses. But if you are here tonight, it is, it is very likely, uh, whether uh, any of the examples I've given you or not, is that you have been marked by death in some way. It's really impossible to escape it because as our lead pastor likes to say, we live on planet death. And so last week we read the first 15 verses of chapter five. And if you were with us, you'll know and remember that the events surrounded the interaction between Jesus and the invalid man who was just paralyzed uh, from the waist down. And, and this man was a, a picture of what it could look like if someone was marked by death. But what we found in that passage is that both the invalid man, even after he was healed, and the Jews in the temple did not truly understand who Jesus is. And they struggled to understand that, that Jesus is the Lord of creation. That, is what we, that was the final point of last week's message, that Jesus is the Lord of creation. And, and because of that, he has such a deep and intimate love for creation, which means you and me. Right, but uh, and we and we remember that Jesus is so intent on removing sin from creation because it plagues every square inch of the universe. But tonight we're going to see in the in the continuing verses in this continuing passage that Jesus is about to make an even bigger claim because Jesus will be speaking to death and speaking about death in such a way that when we see death, the great equalizer, the great ender of human life, we will see the face of Jesus. Tonight, Jesus will make the claim that he is king over life and death. If you are the note-taking type, and if you like to do that, that's my point. That's all I'm going to be saying tonight. So Jesus was claiming that he is the king over life and death. Let's open up our Bibles again. Chapter 5. We'll be reading verses uh, 16, bless you, 16 through 21 for this beginning portion. <clears throat> and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. 
This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will show him so that you may marvel for the father raises the dead and gives them life. So also the son gives life to whom he will. So we see the very first thing that John is pointing out in this uh, section of scripture is uh, the, the, we talked about it briefly last week. It was the Sabbath controversy. And the Jews were very upset, I mean livid, they were ticked off because they believed that Jesus had broken the Sabbath. And if you've read, if you ever read through the Old Testament, which is really hard to do sometimes because it can get, especially when you get to the Levitical laws, it's like Genesis, Exodus, who really knows what happened, something about King David, that's cool, prophets, ah, Jesus, that's kind of how you read the Old Testament. I hope you don't, I would really encourage you to read it all the way through. But if you read the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus, there are some parameters set for Israel, the people of God, to start practicing the Sabbath. And Sabbath was meant to be a day of rest from work, from creating with their hands. And this was a day that was set apart and full of reverence unto God because at the heart of Sabbath is a human recognition of one true thing, that while humans rest from work, God is always at work. So humans, we can rest and trust that the world will continue just fine since God has never stopped working. And over the following centuries, rabbis, Jewish rabbis would uh, have added to these parameters things that are not biblical, things that they thought would be helpful to people to know, and, and not to fully excuse them because, you know, they did break the rules by adding laws to, God, to the word of God. But it's, it's not too hard to see why they felt like they needed to add these extra parameters around the Sabbath because the rest is not exactly the most uh, easy and concrete way uh, to define. So, like, let me ask you, like, uh, if you were to take a Sabbath, today, whatever day it might be, how many of you would consider uh, going uh, shopping as work? So one, two, three, four. Biblically, y'all sinning right now. I'm just telling you know, like shopping because you're doing something transactional, require, uh, it, it's, you're breaking the Sabbath. How many of you thinking watching sports uh, on a Sabbath is breaking the Sabbath? Well, all should raise your hands because you're watching somebody do work. These people are doing work and by supporting them, you are also to do work. It's crazy, right? Like these, all these rules are laid out about what, and, and they're like, so, so like if I, if I poop here, is this Sabbath? And you think I'm like, I'm a guy. Why are you, of course, you're making a joke about poop. There are Sabbath rules about pooping. There's Sabbath rules about everything from, from head to toe, from showering, from sex to pooping to like literally anything under the sun, there is a rule about Sabbath. So, so they were adding these rules, but over time, these rules became more and more ridiculous. And, and actually, if you read the first 15 verses like we did last week, uh, when they accused the, the, the man who had just been healed of breaking the Sabbath, that he didn't really break the Sabbath, but these extra rules said that you couldn't take your mat and pick it up because that is considered work. And so the Jews at the time would have remembered these extra rules and they looked at him and said, you're, you're sinning, you're breaking the Sabbath. 
But verse 16 says this, remember, what does it say? And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he was not the one carrying the mat, right? So what was it that Jesus was doing that they claimed was breaking the Sabbath? Is that he was healing on the Sabbath, okay? So he's healing people and they're like, whoa, that's work. We don't know that kind of work, but if that's work, I, I think that's work. I think that... Like, you know about, there's no rules for this? Nah, man, you're working, you're working. I'm just saying you, you broke the law. And, and Jesus doesn't really fight them. He just kind of says this one simple statement, verse 17. Hey, my father is working, and so I'm working too. And, and this, this is just tick off the Jews. Okay, because one thing is like, hey, I'm gonna tell you to back up. Like, you're really ticking me off. And then there's the other ones like, yo, if I see you around the corner, I'm gonna shank you. And that's what they were saying to Jesus. They were like, yo, if we catch you around here, mm, like, like, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and the question is like, why would they have gotten so mad at Jesus for just saying, hey, I'm just working because my, my dad works? Because the Greek word for father here is the generic Greek word, pater. Anyone would have used it. My dad does this. My dad does that. My dad told me to come home. I would have just used the word pater. The Greek words for heavenly father or Yahweh are kurios and theos, and neither are used in this passage. So even if you read in the original Greek, you're like, uh, I really don't understand why these guys are upset. And verse 18 says they want to kill him because he's making himself equal to God. But, but how is Jesus doing that? He's just saying that he's working. In an earthly sense, do you remember, remember the, the father of Jesus? Yes, God, that's always the answer, yes. But on earth, he had a heavenly father and it was Joseph. Does anyone remember what Joseph did? He was carpenter, right? And so do we see Jesus doing any carpentry here? No. So clearly he's not doing the work that, he's not working like his dad. He's not working like Joseph was working because he was accused of healing. Now, in the Old Testament, there's only two uh, groups of people or two entities that were uh, attributed healing powers. The first one was simple. It was God. God did the healing. He, did, he said, you're healed, and, and people were healed. The other were prophets. But no prophet would have ever made the claim that Jesus made. It says, my father now, in, in contemporary church, we, you know, we, we, we hear that, it's my dad, it's my father, it's my Abba, it's my dad. Like, we, that's a common vernacular for us. But for the Jews and for, in, in the Hebrew text, that is not a common thing. They would say, our father, maybe, but there was no intimacy the way that Jesus is saying. He's saying, my father is healing. I'm healing because my father is healing. Therefore, Jesus says, I am healing because God is healing. The Father is healing. So if God the Father is healing and he's my Father and I'm his direct son, what he's saying is me and the Father are one and the same. This is why the Jews wanted to kill Jesus because for anyone to claim the status of Yahweh, to claim the status of the almighty God, the ancient of days, the holy of holies, the alpha and the omega, for anybody on earth to attribute that to themselves would always result in one thing, secure death. I mean, every single person who's done it, dead. But then Jesus doesn't end it there. He continues it in verse 19. He enters into this huge monologue that really goes throughout the rest of this chapter. And we won't go through that. We'll just go up until verse 30. But he says here, and Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, 
The son can do nothing of his own accord, but only that he sees, only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does, that the, the son does likewise. And so the picture that Jesus is painting here is a lot of an apprentice and a teacher. He's saying, I am an apprentice in the trade of my father. And I'm not talking about Joseph, the carpenter. I'm talking about my heavenly father. And so whatever my heavenly father does, I too will do. In fact, so much so, he says, I can do nothing out of my own will. Okay, now this is kind of scary, right? Because I don't know if how many of us have ever said in prayer or, or in anything or in, in, our, in talking about Jesus that Jesus can do anything, right? Raise your hands, anybody heard that? Jesus can do anything. And the other part of it, that the Father says he can do. He takes all his cues from God the Father. You might think, okay, are we in the right church? Because I feel like that wasn't in my Bible. I promise you it's here because this is what we call a Trinitarian language. So in Mosaic, we do believe in the Trinity. And while the word Trinity is not found explicitly in the Bible, the term and, and topic itself is presented in the, in the scriptures. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here we're seeing the relationship between the Father and the Son. So Jesus is stating it very clearly. Listen, if you want to know what I'm about as Jesus, my, I'm about my Father's business. When my father works, I work. When my father does this, I do this. Because my entire being, my will and my action is all queued up to what the God, the father does. And you might think, hear this and think, wait, so like the father, so the father tells Jesus what to do and like that's that? That doesn't really sound like Jesus is God then. It just it sounds like he's subordinate. But you see, Jesus, the father doesn't have to command Jesus to do anything. Right, like, like how many of us have our parents still tell us like to do stuff? Like I'm married, okay, I'm married, and I, don't, I don't even live at home. And my mom is here right now. I won't tell her, I won't tell you what direction she's in, but, but she still calls me and tells me, did you call the electric company yet? It's like, mom, it's like, mom I'm a grown man. I said, did you? It's like, no, are you gonna do it? Yes. Okay, I love you, love you too, bye. That is not how it works between the father and the son, okay? It does not work between like that, between God, the father, and God, the son, because the son is so in sync with the father that when you see Jesus, you have no other option but to see God, the father. And this only continues to prove that Jesus is God, not that he's subordinate or that he's lowly, because if God, the father, can do anything and everything, and Jesus says, I can do everything just like the Father does. It means that Jesus is just as great as God the Father and just as divine and powerful as the Father. This means that Jesus is not lowly, but he is on equal footing as the Father. And you might be thinking, well, thank you, Caesar, for that theology lesson. I'm kind of bored. What you got next? Well, hear me out. It's about to get good. Because if we know that Jesus is God and that Jesus can do anything that the Father can do, then we have to look at this passage, this, these, these verses in a different light again. It's not like Jesus is the guy who's trying to live up to this name. It's, it's not like he's, he has this identity crisis, like my dad doesn't love me, I gotta prove myself. No, 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 this is nothing like that. See, Jesus is, remember, accused of breaking the Sabbath. Do you know who's the only being that's never been accused of breaking the Sabbath? 
God the Father. God the Father. Okay, we're, we're working. We're, we're, we're learning. Okay, it's fine. You know, that's what we're here for. We're, learning, we're, we're here to learn together. And so God the Father has never been accused of breaking the Sabbath because he's the one who created it. You know, if you go to Genesis chapter two, verses two and three, it says that God rested. God took a Sabbath. He created the Sabbath. He rested from his creation. He took a break. And if that, though, the thing is, if that were true in its fullness, in like the most literal sense, um, that would mean that Jesus, that God the Father, and just God as a whole, takes a break every Sabbath. So that means one day a week, Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, they're like on the golf course just chilling, right? And they're like, you know, I really hope, I really hope America doesn't bomb it again. Like, I don't, gotta wait till Monday, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm on, I'm on tea time today. Uh, that's not true, but fine. Because if, if he's, but, if he's not following the Sabbath, then that would make him a rule breaker, which means that, G, that God is not trustworthy. He's a liar. And actually the whole, believe it or not, the whole world would cease to exist because if God doesn't sustain everything. Anyway, so there's one of two things. Either God has tea time every week or he's a lawbreaker. Which one is it? Anyone take a guess? Yes. Neither, neither. I see what you're saying, Bryce. I see, I see where you're going. It's the opposite. It's neither are true. No, no, it's no. Because all throughout the centuries, the early church and, and prior, the Jewish people themselves, the rabbis, they were like, this is a conundrum. We got to figure this out because this is, we, we don't, I don't really understand how God can create Sabbath, but he's not following it. But because here's what they, they really finally understood is if Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, if they had tea time, and I'm realizing uh, it's kind of funny to think about Jesus like having tea, like teacups, and like, I mean, I really mean golf, but like, <clears throat> if they were to have golf every Sunday, uh, every Sabbath, um, the world would cease to exist. Right? I, 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 Abraham Kuyper, he's a theologian, he says, uh, there is not a square inch in the entire universe that God has not presided over and said, this is mine. Not a single square inch. Because where he is not, death is. Wherever God is not, death is present for God is life, and we will talk more about that as we continue. So we know that then God does not stop working, so he doesn't, he's not playing golf every week, but, but then you would say, well, then he's breaking the rules, and actually, it's not true, because there, remember, there's these parameters that God set in place about the Sabbath. Here's some examples. Uh, um, it says in the, in, in, in the Levitical law that in order to practice Sabbath, you cannot take, uh, I cannot pick one thing up inside and then take it to the outside. That's work. That is Sabbath. Um, do you want to know what the house of the Lord is? It's not the church. Yes, kind of. It's the whole world. So anytime the Lord picks something up, metaphorically or anthropomorphically, he picks something up, he's not taking it out anywhere because he fills the whole earth. The whole place is his home. So he's not breaking that rule. And it, uh, the other thing is like, uh, if you take a thing, so if I take this Bible, and I were to lift this above my stature, which is not, not that high, you know? Uh, I'm breaking the law, I'm breaking the Sabbath law because I've exerted strength. Guess what? God can never bring something up beyond him because nothing is ever as grand and big as him. So what we find out is that God set these rules in place and keeps them perfectly because he made them. So he is not a lawbreaker and he is not, the, he is not a risk taker. He is the God who never stops working. And so if God is not inactive, 
And God is not a rule breaker. Guess who this also applies to? Jesus. And this should be exciting. It really should. Because that means Jesus never stops working because the Father never stops working. But it's only exciting if we know what kind of work the Father does. Verse 21, this is the kind of work that he does. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. What kind of work is the Father doing? Bringing life. What kind of work is Jesus then doing? Bringing life. And if the Father never stops doing that and the, and the Son never stops doing that, what does that mean? That life is always coming out from Jesus. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, we see these things about God, that he is the one who restores, that he is the one that makes children out of orphans, that God is the one who heals, that God is the one who brings life to those who are dead. And now all of this is directed in and through the work of Christ. As, and he has you and me in mind. I'm gonna say this again. All those beautiful truths I just said that are true about the Father is true about the Son and it's directed towards you and to me. So when he says, I am a God who restores, you know what that means? He is set on restoring you and me. Is that when he's a God who heals, that means he is set on healing you and me. That when you are an orphan, when, you're, when you believe in Jesus and sometimes your family ostracizes you, don't worry. God says, I am your father and I will make, a ch I will make children and family out of you. And it's not a one-time ordeal, but because he never stops working, he always is working tirelessly, endlessly on the behalf of his children. And how do I know that? It said it in verse 20 at the end. In greater works than these, he will show him so that you, who is you? It's us, the readers, may marvel. In other words, the work of the Father through the Son exists so that we may believe that Jesus is the giver of life. And I could end there. Clap, call it a night, go home and sleep. But he's not just the giver of life. Because if he's just the giver of life and the king over life, then what's the enemy of life? Death. But remember what I said. Jesus claims he's king over what? Life and, and death. Verses 22 and 23, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. The only one who can have all perfect judgments is who? Is the king. So Jesus' kingship is on display here, but what he presides over was established in the previous verses. He's not just the one who gives life, but he's the, also the one that robs death. And I know this may be hard to believe for some of us today. I don't know what you come in with. And I'm particularly sensitive if there's any of you who've lost those over the last year due to COVID. I don't know. And, and, and the, the, the crazy thing is, is that sometimes I forget that COVID's not the only killer. Like we, we, we were so consumed about COVID that we forgot that there's still a bunch of other things that kill people, whether it's cancer, whether it's violence. I mean, like, it, it, it's still there because we live on planet death. But what if I told you today that Jesus seeks to bring life 
to all the dead areas of your soul. Would you believe me? Here's what verse 20 says again. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. It says that the father loves the son and reveals himself as the giver of life to the son. And that means this one beautiful truth, that anyone who is in Christ, the father also loves you and wants you to be recipients of true life. And if you are here today and you are not in Christ, you have not placed your total secure faith in Christ alone as your king, then I need you to hear this. He wants you to marvel and believe so that you too might receive the gift of life. And you might be sitting here and thinking, okay, you're sounding pretty arrogant over there, man, because what's this thing that I'm doing right now? Am I not... Am I not living? Like, I just check my pulse. I'm alive. See, Jesus provides a a qualitative adjective before life here in verse 24. Look what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, means the Father who has sent me has what? What kind of life? Limited life, bountiful life, rich life, poor life, amazing life, YOLO life, like what, TikTok life? Instagram life, like we all know, you know, the kind of lives that we see on there. What kind of life does it say? Eternal life. Because that's, you might think we know what that means, like on paper. Uh, it just means never ending. It's, it's more than that. It's more than you can imagine. It's not just that it has a no ending to it because the life that God has created for his people is, is nothing that we've known naturally or that we've seen by our own volition. Have you ever just looked at the scope of your life, right? And thought to yourself, there has to be something more than this. Anybody? Anybody? I, I literally do that every time I got to wake up early in the morning, like 6 a.m. rolls around and I'm like, I look at the ceiling. I'm like, like God, are you there? Because if you were, I don't think you'd make me wake up at 6 a.m. Like, this is terrible. Like, this is cruel. Like, I don't think, why would you do this? Frankly, anyone in their 20s and 30s, and, and really anybody who calls himself a human, regardless of what part of the world they are in, but really the people in their 20s in America probably have this thought hundreds of times. There has to be something more than this. And I can promise you the reason that they're asking this question is because we mistake the life that we live now and the life that Jesus offers. Ecclesiastes, one of the books of, the, of wisdom in the Old Testament, states in chapter 3, verse 11, that God has written eternity on mankind's heart. That means anything to be found on this earthly life, which is limited and has an expiration date, outside of life in Christ, will always leave you and I empty and void. I remember, uh, who is, do you know who the GOAT of the NFL is, of, of quarterbacks? Okay, there we go. I just, I did it for you, man. I did it for you. Uh, Tom Brady, I don't really know anything about football. I pretend to know, and I go, ah, yeah, ref. You know, I'm the kind of guy who does that, and uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, he did this uh, interview on 60 Minutes. And uh, he, they're having this conversation about what it, at that point, 2005, and he just won three rings, and he's like, okay, man. Like, you're, you're, you're the goat. Like, like, how does that feel? That's one of the interesting questions. Like, you're the best at what you do. What does that feel like? And this is what his response was. Man, 
I love, I, I literally looked at the transcript. He's like, he was like, man. <laughs> All right, Tom Brady. Man, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? It's gotta be more than this. That interview was in 2005. And 16 years later, he is still playing in the NFL, chasing the exact same thing. How many rings does he have? Seven. Seven. And I bet you ain't eight? Oh, are you, are you prophesying? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he wins next year. I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and some of you laugh. We laugh about that, right? Like, yeah, that's just a celebrity. He's just an all-star, like whatever. Like, that's on him. I'm not trying to chase that. I, I just want to live a happy life. I'm just trying to chill. That's fine. That's fine. You may, you may attempt to chase after that, that happy, go free life, like everything's just about you and like, like you just, you gotta take care of yourself. And all of that falls under the concept of the beautiful acronym YOLO. You only live once, right? Oh, I, it's fine, I'll buy that. You only live once, right? Oh, that car is fine. You only live once. Oh, I'll take that drink. I'll only live once. Like, yeah, it's fine. And, and I was looking about the history of this term, and it's been around for centuries, believe it or not. It's not just a common thing. It's been since the 1800s. Um, and it was, but it was popularized in the 50s by comedian Joe E. Lewis, who said, you only live once. But if you play your cards right, once is enough. But isn't that a little anxiety-inducing? Like, think about how that actually plays out in every area of your life. Like, I can't think about anyone else, right? Like, you, you start developing these things. Like, I can't think about anybody else because I need to think about me, right? It's my life. Like, I, I got to get the most out of my life. Like, I got maybe, I don't know how many years. Like, I'm 27, and so, like, like I, I CrossFit. I eat healthy, so I, I probably got another, like, 50 years. So I got 50 years. So I got 50 years to make sure I live the most happy life possible, or maybe you're like, maybe you're not even thinking that long. You're like, man, I don't, I don't know if I got 50 years. I like drinking and smoking and all. I'm not, and it's not talking about whether those things are bad or not. I'm just saying they have an effect on your lifespan. Anyway, so, you know, like, I, I don't got that long. I, I got to have sex a lot. I got to have as much sex as possible with as many partners as possible because, you know, like, there's different flavors for every people. So I got to try this. I got to try that. Or, or you're like, you know, like, listen, I can only look this good for so long, right? Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm 26, but you know what? In three years, it's, it's going to look like I'm 45. So, you know, I don't got that much time. I have very few years in my life to convince someone using my looks that they got to stay with me forever. Like, like if, if, if that's ever been crossing your mind at any point, you've heard that or you've seen that, like, I want you to ask yourself, is that really life? And if that is life, is that what you really want it to be? Or is there more? So when Jesus offers eternal life, it means it has to be better than what's being offered now. A life that is not limited by this age on earth, but a life that actually only gets better even more so in the life to come. A life where our status and our power don't define our worth. A life where hope abounds amidst brokenness and death. It's a life that is eternal and is promised and secured to you through Christ. But this is not a life that is limited only to the future. Some of this can be greatly experienced right here and right now. This is how I know, verses 25 through 30, we'll, we'll try to finish with this. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. So he's talking about a future, but also now. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So your mind is what we already learned about Christ last week, that when, when Jesus speaks, things happen. So what, what Jesus is ultimately trying to, to, to land at this point is that those who are spiritually dead will come to life upon hearing his voice and his voice alone. But he doesn't just speak to those who are spiritually dead. He speaks to those of us who are alive in Christ and reminds us what it means to live. So again, if you have not placed your faith, he is calling you to himself and into life. And if you are in Christ, He's saying, this is what it means to live. Verse 23, this is how we live out this thing that we call eternal life. 23, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. The way that we live out or live out their response to eternal life is by honoring the son. And the Greek word for honor is, is tamal. It means obviously to show honor and recognition, but it implies there's always this action. That means when you see the thing, the object of honor, you do something in response. You see, honor originates in our hearts and refers to the value we personally place on something. We honor Christ to the degree that we consider his position and contributions significant. The way we do this is ultimately living as Jesus does. Remember what I said about Jesus and the Father being so in sync that when you see one, you see the other? Just as Jesus is in sync with the Father, we honor God and we honor the Son by being in sync with Christ so that when people see our lives, they have to see Jesus. There's this woman in our church who passed away a couple years ago. Um, she was known to some as Mama Mosaic and to others simply Linda Baker. And Linda, I, when I moved down here, I came by myself and Linda took me in as her own. And I, I remember uh, Linda also had a, a illness that affected her lungs. Um, she, had a, she was always carrying around an oxygen tank uh, and what was most scary about Linda, but also most loving, was that uh, she had the gift of discernment. So if she asked you, how are you doing, and you didn't tell the truth, she was like, okay, I'm gonna ask you again, and you're gonna tell me the truth this time. And so I was always trying to avoid her. <laughs> well, if she's on one side of the church, I'm on the other side. So I, that's what I used to do. Uh, but there was one time, I remember my first year here, I was burnt out of ministry, being in school, depressed, sad, and I got to church and I was like, I don't even want to be here. I hate this place. In fact, God, I think I hate you. Like if you were real, you wouldn't, you wouldn't leave me here like this, alone, friendless, familyless, without, broken up with, the, with my girlfriend at the time, like I was no friends, I, I, had, I had nothing. 
And then I remember I was, it was in the old building and I was sitting in the very back next to the production booth and there was Linda just a few rows ahead with her oxygen tank right next to her on the row and her hands just in full display and worshiping Jesus. This is a woman who had very little breath in her lungs, but whatever breath she had, she used it to worship the Lord. And then she was in the hospital. She was on hospice. And I remember looking at her body that was marked by death. But she lived her life in such a way that when I looked at her being marked by death, all I could remember was that Jesus had made her alive. And that every time I saw her, all I saw was her honor the Lord by living out that life. She is now not here, but she is at home with the Lord. You see, if we have received eternal life through Jesus, that means that you and I bring life wherever we go. Think about what that could mean. Think about what that does mean for every area of life that you walk into, your jobs, your homes, your, this church, this community. We become lights in this world and co-labor with Christ as he seeks to undo the kingdom of darkness and the work of the enemy. John 10.10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says about himself, I have come that that they may have life and have it to the full. We get to bring the fullness of life to this place that we call planet death. All of us, every single person here, this is what your call to can be. You've been invited by the king over life and death to display the life of Christ as the only way to overcome death. Let us pray. We bow before you, Heavenly Father, my Father, our Father. For you too are working, so Christ is working. And if you too are both working, then that means we too should be working not for our selfish gain, not for our own desires, not for our own wants. No, you've invited us into a life that is far more grand, far more beautiful, far more majestic, far more impactful, that has eternal value. Ones that are not limited just to these moments, but that will be felt throughout the years, even after we're gone. God, I thank you for Linda and the impact she had at Mosaic. And that because of Mama Mosaic, those that she called children like myself will carry the beauty of the gospel until I die. And I don't even know, Lord, what, how many other people I'll be able to impact the way that Linda did. But Lord, if any of us are as lucky to be like Linda, we will impact many that at the end of the day, we know who we will see when death comes for us. It'll not be a black void or destruction. We'll be met finally with the one who loves us more than life itself. We'll be with the giver of life, king over life of death, with Jesus forevermore. 
God, I pray for every soul here. God, I pray that you've softened the hearts of those who do not yet believe or who haven't yet believed and now are here because you've brought them to yourself. God, I pray that they would come find me or other leaders, that they would pray. I, I pray that they would come and confess that you are the way, the truth, and the life. The life. The only one. And they would find the peace and filling that they've wanted their whole lives and didn't know that it was you until today. And for those of us who have called you Savior, Lord, I ask that you would remind us of this truth, this calling, this beautiful calling of being ambassadors of light and harbingers of hope. Would we continually point others to Christ as long as we may live? We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards Him. If you want to hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.